Good morning and welcome to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up today, brighten up your home with an Easter flower centrepiece. We'll show you how with our flower arranging masterclass. Do you have antique furniture you're not sure how to maintain properly? What if you spot woodworm or a stain? Well, we've an antiques expert joining us to share his top tips. If you've some space in your home, would you convert it into a walk-in wardrobe? It's a must-have. Denise O'Connor, founder of Optimised Design, will tell us how. And Home of the Year winner Jennifer Sheehan will be telling us about the rise of maximalism. If you'd like to get involved in the Easter show today, then you can text us here on The Home Show at 53106 for 30 cent or email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. You'll find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. And you can listen live or listen back to the show and our podcasts on the Newstalk app, which is powered by Go Loud. Well, it's the Easter weekend and hasn't it been fast in getting here? We'll be talking about chocolate later in the show, but I'll let you into a little secret now. I am not a fan and I kind of hope nobody gives me a big luscious chocolate egg with extra chocolates inside. My hubby usually buys me a few flowers instead. No hint there. He's still got 24 hours. Uh, But to me, that is much nicer. I don't know why. And I'll have a chocolate biscuit or a square from a bar, but actually any more than that, um, I'm afraid I would still be hoarding it till Christmas time. One of my guests, I am guessing, is a massive chocoholic and what's more, has some great ideas for us about using it up this weekend, whether you nab the kids' eggs or buy your own. So stay tuned for that. But let me know if you're a chocolate fan. And if so, here's the big dilemma. Is it white, milk or dark? want try and tempt me and if you can't wait till tomorrow well I won't tell anyone if you want to get a head start on cracking open the treats as we are talking over the next hour text me on 53106 email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and you're very welcome along to the home show now flower rangers make it look easy but perhaps ordinary people even me can learn a thing or two about how to make a fabulous flower wreath or centrepiece for our Easter table Betty Stewart leads the Lulabell Flower School in Dunleary in Dublin where best of all their arrangements are plastic free and we are all for that on the home show so she joins me in studio now with a vast array of leaves and flowers and all things which is actually pretty terrifying you're welcome to studio Betty thank you very much for having me Sinead right where are we going to start because you, you're going to have me now make a wreath allegedly not a bother to you it's <laughs> all good we're going to start with a pre-moth wreath okay describe now what we have here because it already looks very pretty actually <laughs> we've started with the wire back on that yeah so that's just a wire florist's wire wreath then I get a load of sphagnum moss literally make a big sausage out of it squash it up very technical terms it's very springy yeah have actually a, it's nice and moist isn't it but fe- feel how how um solid it is oh and heavy goodness so it that, is. that's sodden with water right. and that's going to be the water source of all these beautiful okay. plants that we're going to put in excellent oh yeah. gosh okay so it is very very solid it's very pretty uh, and very natural looking, isn't actually. it? Yeah, just on its own, it's beautiful. Yeah. So, what, tell me the type of plants that you've brought in here now today that we can, um, we can, we are going to use. So we've got two lovely. First of all, our moss is Irish, and also this beautiful eucalyptus parvifolia is from uh, Wexford Farm. Oh yes, absolutely beautiful. And that is stunning, isn't mm. it? Loads of texture, gorgeous. Okay, and a lovely color actually. That lovely sage green color is absolutely beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. It, it, it's lovely. Okay, and also colors. Coincidentally, of the Ukrainian flag. Oh, well done! Pale blue, very good. And yes, yellow. well done. What are they? So this, these are called Crespedia. Americans call them Billy Balls. Um, 
they're fantastic little flowers. Um, so they're perfect for doing something like a wreath where you mm-hmm. might hang it up after you've used it as a okay. centrepiece. So that's our eucalyptus parvifolia there, our craspedia, or the yellow balls. And then we've got bog myrtle on the other side there, that lovely brown twig. Oh, this, yes. Yeah, lovely. and that's from County Kerry. Beautiful. And then we have this lovely Elysium over here right. that lots of people put in their borders and oh, their rockery. little spriggy white flowers. They're beautiful. Aren't they gorgeous? Okay. Really pretty. And then beautiful muscari as well. That uh, That's the vibrant blue. That's the vibrant blue. Great. Now, how are we going to get started? Well, we can't put off the dreaded moment any longer. What <laughs> am I to in, do let's here? Let's do it. So you can see I've already put one little bit of Elysium in there. That's the white flower. Yes, yeah, so you've taken some of this flower and it's really just kind of made a little hole and, yeah. and, and, and stuffed it in. Okay, great. That's all that is. So what you do is just get your two thumbs and gouge in a hole. Okay, where we put it now? We'll go opposite it. Okay, right, great. Like okay. That. Will I put one here then? We're trying to go around. We're kind of like a quarters of the clock. Oh, yeah. Right, perfect. okay. Great. Two thumbs in. Right, okay. Oh, you want to make a little hole earthy. big enough for the little root to go in. That's okay. all you need. Have that down. Because this is moss, Betty, is this going to keep it alive a little well bit longer done. then? That's exactly what it's for. Ah, yeah. okay. So that's sodden with water. And then this is going to keep... So I don't feel too bad about taking these out of their little beds. No, absolutely not. Okay, there we are. And I just pop that in here. Shove it in. Literally shove it in. Stuff and yeah. a chicken going on. <laughs> That's it. Use the thumbs, get it in. Okay. And when you're confident you have all the roots in, then squish the moss together. And actually, it is very springy. It's like a spring form. It just comes back into shape. Beautiful. Look, look, you've done it. It's even staying in place. Well done. Right. All right. Now, the next technique is we're going to get the muscari, which is in in its bulbs. Mm -hmm. So this is just a plant you'd buy from your local garden centre. Take it all out of the little plastic nursery pot. And it is in bulbs. It's in bulbs. Right, okay. So we want a couple of these bulbs. Up, 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 up. There we it's go. It's dramatic You can hear work. the ripping. You're tearing them apart. <laughs> yeah. The uh, roots attach. And am I putting it here and in this? And you can pop that in, in there. Hole? Okay, lovely. That looks gorgeous. That's brilliant. Right. Well done. Okay. That's looking great. Lovely, so you can already blue. see right. okay. your centrepiece is happening. Now, talk to me about balance in terms of, I know with flower arranging, it's like this kind of triangular thing or a rectangular. Th- you know, you have to get the height and the width and the textures. In wreath making, uh, do, how important is that as well? Because you don't want one side fuller than the other. You don't, but maybe you do at the same time. So what we do is a very loose form of flower design. So you may end up with an asymmetrical design. But tend you, I tend to look at what we're working at and work with that okay. rather than forcing it into a particular kind of shape. The muscari is very angular. It's very straight up. But now we're going to have, I've got little daffodils and they are very angular ah, and asymmetric. Right, so okay. they might want to do their own thing and go out at a big 90 degree angle. Right. And that's lovely as well. Not even out yet. So again, pop off the pot. And actually, aren't the bulbs a bit handy because they go in in one go and they're not going, the roots aren't going to fall apart. No, they're great. Right, okay. This one is, you loosen out a a bulb, Mm -hmm. take all the soil off and you got your roots I'm apologising to Anton in advance because he'll be coming into a garden wonderland into the studio after. (laughs) Right. Gather up the roots underneath. Okay. And now we're going to put this on the surface of the wreath. Okay, how interesting. Okay, so they don't all have to be doing it because actually I was getting a little worried that if we keep punching holes in this beautiful wreath, it'll fall apart eventually. So some of them get pinned in. They get pinned in okay. and you don't need to do one. You could do two at a time. Oh, the equipment is coming out now, folks. <laughs> the secateurs. Got our secateurs that are sharp for once. Yeah. And a bit of florist wire as well. And now we're okay. going to attach these on using those two things. Great, okay. 
Now, to attach on wire, yeah. really easy. You just loop it around. I'm holding these in now so that you don't want everything falling apart. Great. Okay, so you're knotting the wire. Uh, and it is a wire. It's like a piano wire. It's very, very strong. Can you get that in any florists? You can get it in any florist, but also this is from a great shop that we have in Dunleary called Sostren. Sostren Greta. Oh, yeah, yes, I'm of sure course. You know. yeah. Great shop. That's it. So this is a little bit like, um, the only thing I can think of it is like when you're sewing on a button on a shirt and you're kind of going in and then at the end you you put the needle in and That's you go round and you go down. Now will I go down underneath here? Yeah, lovely. All right. And it, oh. That's looking fab. And when you're confident it's on there, that there means it's There we are. Actually, Lovely. that is rock solid. And I did not know how you were going to do that. So well done. Okay, well great. Well done you. That's great. And to finish it off then, you just snip your wire. Yeah. Tie a knot around the last loop you did. Do you know it's not unlike sewing? No, it's not. <laughs> or that bit of crochet when you come to the end and you need to tie off all the, all the bits. So you're taking some of the moss, not from the wreath, separately, and you're wrapping it around the bulb to create a little, I suppose, little mini, little mini. garden for yeah. it. Yeah. And what you have here are different heights. So the little small flowers are very low down and then the blue are a little bit higher and then the daffodil bulbs higher again. So you're getting that layered approach. You're getting that layered approach. Plus these are all going to grow and they'll keep growing and they're going to come out and bloom. Actually this one, this moth, moss wreath will last you years. Really? Yeah. How interesting. Right. Now that's lovely. Fantastic. Well done you. Now what flowers, are there flowers that don't work well for this technique, Betty? I mean, I presume you, you wouldn't put roses or chrysanthemums or anything like that on here, or could you? I wouldn't. They might be a little bit too big. Um, and yeah. The flowers are a little bit too high up on the stem. Maybe for me, uh, I like a bit of scent and something that's going to keep going for a little while. And all the flowers have space. You can see all the flowers rather mm. than being bunched up like that. That is beautiful. All right. Isn't it pretty? Just the way it is. It's gorgeous. Well, now, listen, Betty, that is all we have time for today. And I think you could probably have hours of interest and you can always undo it and redo it. Absolutely. If you're not happy with the yeah. look. And keep all it till right. next year too. Well, where can people find out now more about you uh, and particularly any classes that you run? So our website is lulabelle.ie. Our Instagram is wearelulabelles. And everything is up on there. And we've got the shop in Dullery, of course. Fantastic. All right. Well, listen, that was fascinating. I'm not sure I did a great job, but at least I did great. And it looks really cool. So thank you so much uh, for joining us today on The Home Show. Now, coming up after the break, we will be talking all things antiques. And I don't mean about me. So stay tuned, grab yourself a cup of coffee, crack open that Easter egg, and I'll see you in a few moments. And you're very welcome back to The Home Show here on News Talk with me, Sinead Ryan. Now, if you missed my flower arranging masterclass in part one, you can listen back to the podcast and see how I got on with that. And I think we'll all agree the results were mixed. Um, But you are very welcome back to the show this morning on this Easter weekend. And we are going to be talking all things antiques now because lots and lots of people love the idea of buying and owning antiques um, but kind of can be scared a little bit about caring for them and making sure that they are well looked after. So if that is you, well, I am delighted to say that I'm joined by George Williams. He's worked in this uh, field for 40 years. He's the co-owner of George Williams Antiques in County Meath and he joins me in studio. Uh, You're very welcome along to the Home Show, George. Thank you, Sinead. Now, um, antiques, talk to me a bit about, I suppose, look, 
these are items of furniture which have already what what's an antique a hundred years it's yeah a hundred years or yeah. over is the so, definition so they've lasted this long they were obviously well made to begin with if you have something that that's old and you don't want to mess it up now how important is the environment in which you keep an antique piece of furniture it's hugely important because I like to think timber's like it's still alive so if we at, have atmospheric changes like in terms of temperatures um, underfloor heating radiators um, windows, sunlight, it can affect antiques very much so and that the temperature changes can vary and um, they can cause the wood to fluctuate and can cause cracks or, or splits or even warping in some cases. Right, so actually the modern house now, the way we want to build houses in the future because we've been told it's all about kind of uh, keeping the house very, very warm inside mm. and underfloor heating and uh, triple glazing and all that. You're saying that actually might be the best thing for yeah, in, in Very much so, right. it, very much so because, I mean, it's like a closed environment. So the heat is basically, there's no moisture in the air and the heat is, is very, very intense. Um, particularly with underfloor heating, it can trap heat underneath um, surfaces that are not treated it can actually heat up the, the timber to extreme lengths that it, it's not good for it. That can dry it out then. And cause exactly. It could dry. So what should, like, so if you're in a house, like a modern house, but with, with old furniture, wh- mm. where is the best place? Is it, would a carpet uh, a, a carpet a would surface? do, yes. I, I have advised people as well, a carpet with an underfloor in sort of um, membrane can actually deflect the heat from, yeah, from actual furniture. Yeah, even a mat or something. Yes, exactly. Okay, um, now talk to me about different timbers. Are, are they all, just wood, the same like mahogany, rosewood, uh, you know, beech, or or should they be treated differently? There are a lot of times should be treated differently, but and you've got the, the major distinction is between your hardwood and softwood. Okay. And most times antiques will be made from hardwood, so you know that's, that's your mahogany, isn't exactly it? Exactly, same mahogany, mm. right? And then you've obviously got to be careful of of of, of what wood you have that you, you look after it and you treat it accordingly. So some woods are very susceptible to woodworm like uh, walnut and beech and, and, you know, that's something that you need to be aware of that, uh, as well. How do you spot that now? Are they little holes? Little, little holes. Tiny little yes. pinholes Tiny little pinholes. And, and then if, if, you, if you know you've got wood, uh, active woodworm, if you watch these holes and tap them, and if you see activity of, of, oh, of dust coming out, stop. we call oh, it the right. frass. They're, they're burrowing. Yeah, they're burrowing. And, and they're, they're, you've got active, you've got a problem. You've got a, a woodworm that's actually active within the, in, in, the, in the piece of furniture and you need to deal with it accordingly. And can it be treated It can be treated, yes, okay. it can. Okay, so so they're the, those tiny little holes and they're it, usually in the legs, aren't they? They're using they, the legs yeah. or, or the underside. Where you, sometimes you won't even notice them, you know, if you weren't looking for them, the back of a bit of furniture. So they particularly like plywood as well. Okay. And they feed away in plywood and they, you know, they sort of, they can be there, remain in a piece of wood for up to five years before they, you know, wow. before they come out again for the hatch out as a beetle, the lava. Now, what about mildew? Because I know that in damp place and probably these old houses, maybe from when, whence they came, um, that that can also be an issue. Is yeah. that very difficult to deal with? It, it's not really. We, we, we've, we've invented a very good cleaning solution that cleans uh, furniture off very well. And um, it's um, following the instructions and removing the mildew as well. It also kills, it disinfects the furniture. So really, a lot of times, if you're working with antiques, it's very, be very cautious that you want to be careful of the surface. You don't want to damage the surface in any way. And you want to be extremely careful that you're doing the right thing for the piece of furniture. Mm. So advice is always a good thing. But also then to follow the instructions of, 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 of a known product that you, 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 can, you can trust and that you, you know, you've got advice on. And um, so cleaning a piece, you can actually, you know, clean it effectively. You're just looking after it and you're cleaning the dirt off it and you're bringing it back to its former glory by a bit of wax and polishing. So that sounds like the old fashioned method. So are mm. you saying steer clear of the modern 
kind of uh, spray yes, cleansers and yes, yes. that. Very much so. A lot of those are full of chemicals and you just don't want them near your furniture. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, you know, they're nasties. So, you know, they're not good for... Um, if you've got an heirloom, a family heirloom of an antique mm. piece of furniture, you want to be using traditional um, beeswax finish on it and cleaning it in the traditional way as well. Yeah, because you don't want to be the generation that messes that up no, <laughs> if you're no, passing no, it no. on. How popular are antiques now? Because I know there's lots of maybe... Um, couples who are buying a home for the first mm. time and everything's new and mm. shiny mm. and clean. Mm. Um, and is there a place for furniture that was made a hundred or hundred and fifty years ago? Do you think? Very much so. I think. I think you know. I've seen um, antiques in modern settings look fantastic. They really bring a bit of life to a house, particularly an old chair when upholstered in a beautiful fabric. It can lift it. You know, lift a room and, and to a beautiful. Mm. You know, to give a nice image. Tables, dining tables, small occasional tables. I mean, they're, they're lovely things, and they're very. I think it's they're very underrated a lot of times. A lot of the furniture we look at today, particularly modern stuff, there's nothing in it. It's plywood. It's 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 medite. It's fiberboard. It, it's chipboard. You know, mm. you don't want. To, you know, if you're investing in furniture, you know, it's nice to own a few things that you can admire and look after and pass them on. Furniture from maybe the Victorian era or Edwardian era, I mean, it was made in a very traditional way, even down to like wooden screw parts rather than, you know, metal that we'd have today. Do you think we've lost a lot of the art? Yes, I do. A lot of yeah. traditional skills are very much lost. Um, nobody has the time really to, to devote to, to traditional skills. And, you know, there's a lot of things now are, are machine made and it's, it's all mass produced. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I do. And I think this, it's, it's, it's sad that there should be a huge encouragement for, the, you know, the, a lot of trades that are, 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 are on the way out. Um, now, I know that there are some, you know, if they're being used on everyday use and people want to have people around and admire their furniture, spillages can be an issue. What are the worst uh, liquids to land on your beautiful mahogany uh, piece of furniture? Alcohol is, is the really probably the worst because uh, alcohol, it, it dissolves the French polish or finish on top of the surface. But if it's dealt with quickly, it, it, you can neutralise it and take and stop the effect from damaging the piece. Um, ink is a terrible, it's a really horrible stainer and it's very difficult to remove as well. And then water, water, believe it or not, is, is again a, a very effective to, to timber and can cause um, damage the surface in a way that, you know, can give blotch marks and bleach marks on the top. Right. So don't be writing your memoirs with a mm. fancy pen with a bottle of wine over it. No, no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Put a mat down and make sure you've got it covered. All right. Yeah. Now, if that happens mm. in an emergency, what can you do? I can do well. There's one, there's a couple of remedies you can do. One is um, if you put a glass of wine down on a table and you notice the white ring appearing, um, remove it quickly and then um, get a very very tiny bit of, of boiled linseed oil and rub it into the circle of the actual piece of of timber. Um, and the heat of your finger heats the in, linseed oil up, and then you remove that with a cloth or tissue and rub it out, and it should remove the mark instantly. It should should take it away instantly, and then rub it dry. Right, the must-have addition to any liquor cabinet, a mm. bottle of linseed oil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, listen, George, it has been fantastic talking to you and getting well, an insight. Well, and uh, you're clearly you. passionate about what you do. Uh, thank you, Sinead. <laughs> Pleasure being with you. Thank you. George Williams uh, from George Williams Antiques up in Kelton County Mead. Thanks a million for joining us on The Home Show. Thank you, Sinead. And if you want to get in touch with us today, it is 53106 and you can tell us all about your antiques and how you care for them. And I hope that you got some good advice 
there. Now, we all love to maximise space where we can. And if you're looking to convert an area of your home into a walk-in wardrobe, this is the must-have feature, apparently, now in all the best houses. Well, what should you consider? Well, Denise O'Connor is founder and managing director of Optimised Design and she joins me now to give us her advice on this. Good morning. Good morning, Sinead. You're welcome along to the home show. Now, uh, converting a space, uh, I think you obviously need a little bit more than a wardrobe space. So for people who want that kind of carry closet, right? Yes. And you had maybe a small box room or something like that, you know, that you didn't need anymore. Yeah. Would that be the kind of thing that would convert well into a walk-in wardrobe? Yeah, box rooms are perfect because they have... A window, which is ideal. So ideally in a walk-in wardrobe, you want some kind of natural light. So a window is perfect. Um, And box rooms, they tend to be, you know, not ideal for bedrooms. They're perfect for a little nursery. But then after that, you know, they're not very useful as bedrooms. And they might have been a home office for the last two years. And now you're thinking, oh, I can't wait to get back to the office. You know, I just want to get rid of this and do something nice with it. Yes, exactly. So that they make an ideal walk-in wardrobe. And I guess the thing, you know, like you just said in the intro there, about 90% of our clients, that would be top of their wish list is a walk-in wardrobe. But often people don't have the space. So Mm. that's the tricky thing. You know, it's making sure you have enough space for a walk-in wardrobe because sometimes these closets, people think that's great, I'll be able to walk into it. But actually you get better storage by just having a run of wardrobes in your bedroom. So it's really to look at the space Be realistic about how much stuff you have and then map it out and see, is it going to work? Now, what are the different elements that you need to take into account? So space is clearly one of them. Yeah. But um, in in kind of determining that ratio between shelves, between storage drawers, between rails, what's optimal there? Well, I think, you know, everybody is different. So, you know, I've seen clients where they may have an awful lot of shoes or maybe it's handbags or, you know, I've had mostly most homes it's the ladies that have the majority of the stuff and the poor well, husbands there's a shocker <laughs> but I have seen the opposite too so every home is totally different so it's really about taking stock of what you have and if for example you tend to wear a lot of dresses then long hanging is going to be super important but maybe you know you prefer sort of more comfortable clothes like tops and jeans or things like that then shelves or drawers are going to be much more useful for you so it's really looking at what you have and working with, say, a wardrobe designer or somebody who can help to map out the best use of space. Um, because, you know, your space, your floor to ceiling height, all of these things will come into play and just trying to get the most out of every inch that you have. Now, is there a good way to store stuff that you're not going to use all of the time? So maybe yeah. unseasonal clothes or, I don't know, like belts and you know, suitcases and things like that. I mean, it's important to have storage for that stuff as well, isn't it? Definitely. Well, that's where, say, building right up to the ceiling is a brilliant idea. So then you can pop things that you don't use all the time or like you say, you know, summer clothes during the winter can go into boxes and be put up high, maybe somewhere that's not so easy to access. Um, The other thing then that we've seen, if people have a particularly like awkward space, say attic spaces where you have sloping roofs or extra depth, We've uh, put 
two sort of hanging bars, one in front of the other. Mm. So you can hang all your winter stuff in the back and then bring your summer stuff forward and then flip it. Oh, that's clever. And it's a really good use of space. And it also means everything's really to access because that's critical. Um, you know, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. And that's how people tend to double up on things and end up with a complete storage nightmare. Now, we see, I say sometimes on Instagram or Pinterest, you know, so, some celebrity accounts. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm thinking now of the Kardashians who probably aren't short of wardrobe space in their various houses. Uh, but when it comes to shoes, there's this thing about are they art? You know, do you display them with the box and the label out yeah. or do you just put up the red heels for everybody to see? <laughs> what? Uh, how, do you, they're awkward and they're large, though, you know, the, the storing shoes, especially if you've more than, I don't know, five pairs. Five pairs, yeah, exactly. Oh <laughs> What's my your advice there? Yeah, well, there's lots of different ideas. One idea that um, we've done in the past is to create like a larder style unit. So like your larder cupboard that you pull out for your spices and things, you can do something very similar for oh, shoes. Oh, right. And so, have them hanging. You're, yeah, doing well, great, them. you're doing great hand movements there. Yeah, exactly. I do lots of hand movements. <laughs> <laughs> but that, no, you're describing it perfectly because yeah. it's it's one of those kind of pull shelves that come yes. out and, and hang the shoes off at them. Exactly. So you're making use of a very narrow space and you're sort of making use of the vertical height as well. And that's a great way to store shoes. Mm. Um, there are really clever little um, shoe stackers as well that let you stack a pair sort of on top of each other. So instead of taking up a double width, you know, you're, you're getting two pairs of shoes. Um, so there are lots of clever solutions like that. Shelves work really, really well, especially if you've got shallow space. That's brilliant for things like shoes or handbags or you know, any of those bits and pieces that you'd like mm. to have on display. So again, you can see them. I think that's pretty And good. there's these small little racks. I have one myself and mm. I think I got it in Aldi or Lidl or somewhere like yeah. that. It was one of those weekend middle aisle specials. Mm. And it's just a, like a two metal rails and just the shoes kind of hang, the back of the shoes hang off them. Yes. And yeah. uh, just handy to keep them neat and tidy. Yeah, exactly. Or even little bars like a towel rail or something and you could hang mm. high heels and stuff mm. like that. So it's using your wall space as much as possible. Even if, you know, you don't have space to put cupboards, look for any wall space. Things like hooks are brilliant for necklaces, handbags again, scarves, any of that sort mm. of stuff. Make even a bit belts. Of an art installation a on feature. your wall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you, talk, you mentioned briefly there light at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So talk to me now about that kind of juxtaposition of light and mirrors and reflective surfaces and all that because you need to see what you're looking at. You really do. And I think like I know myself, it drives me crazy, say in the winter, if you're looking for tights and you, you walk out and you realise you're you're in navy tights, you thought oh, they were black we tights. I know. So it's so really true. hard. So your lighting is really critical. And ideally, as I said, natural light is fabulous. But then to bear in mind that if you have a window in a room that's going to take up storage space. So sometimes a roof light, if you can fit one in, is a really good solution. Okay. Um, and then if not... Uh, lighting inside the wardrobe. Okay, talk to me about that then. How how do you do that? So either if you're getting bespoke units that can be built in with mm. the joiners. So when the doors open, the light comes uh, on. It's on here. a little sensor. Uh, but also ideal. IKEA sell them. So right. you can retrofit them yourself and apparently very easy to do. And, and there's a little like a catch, a, a, a shorts on the, on the wardrobe. Did you need an, an electrician to put those no, in? No, not at all. Or you can even buy their little uh, LED they stick on. So when... Um, when you kind of, they, it's a movement sensor. Mm. So if they sense something is moving, they come on. So you can do it very inexpensively, but it makes a massive difference for being able to see what you're doing. 
Absolutely. Well, that sounds like a great idea and, a, and actually great tips. Um, and thank you very much. So Optimize uh, Design, tell me a little bit about uh, the company. You have a, you've brought in uh, a, a home renovation planner. Yes. Now, you've, you've designed this. Yes. yes yeah. Tell me a little bit about so it. So this is something um, like I come up against all the time with people is how overwhelming a project is. So whether mm. it is simply designing their walk-in wardrobe or taking on a much bigger build, so this was just something I wanted to put together to help people break down that mammoth task and overcome overwhelm. So it sort of helps you to focus day by day and break down the big task into daily little tasks so that hopefully you stay one step ahead of all the trades and the, the builder mm. um, and make the process a little bit more enjoyable. Wonderful. Yeah. Now, where can people find out more about you and this? So our website is optimisehome.com and the planner is available to purchase there too. Wonderful. Well, Denise O'Connor, thank you so much for My coming pleasure. in and talking to us all about the walk-in wardrobes. And if you've still got Carrie Envy, listen back to that and get great tips. Now, after the break, why Bridgerton is helping the maximalism trend to return. Join me in a few minutes back here on News Talk. And you're very welcome back to the home show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan with you until nine o'clock. And of course, for Bridgerton fans, you will have recognised that as the theme tune. And we are talking about Bridgerton this week because Jennifer Sheen, Home of the Year winner, is back in studio with me. Uh, are you a fan of Bridgerton? Do you I'm watch it? Obsessed. Love it. It's amazing. Well, of course, I adore that whole Regency period. I mean, the gowns and the hairdos oh. and the jewellery and above all else, the complete overkill in terms of decor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a moment in time, uh, that kind of early 19th century. And actually, you know, that blingy way to do things carried on all the way through pretty much for a hundred years really up to and including Edwardian Britain yeah so it is a kind of a a big a big thing so you love the series love it and talk to me about then the design elements we can take from it because this is just what we call maximalism absolute over the the top opposite to the scandy Japanese (laughs) minimal kind of beige furniture isn't it it's it's completely opposite it's it's over the top it's extravagant it's lavish it's everything it's it it really started off as a way for wealthy people to show off what they had and that's maybe why it never stopped because we love showing off what more we have. More is more. More is more, Do exactly. Do you think it's kind of, I've seen a lot of um, Instagram accounts uh, where it seems to be not making a comeback, but that idea of mashing different colours and designs together and being very, very bright, like putting in your guilt with your yeah. pink and, and all that. 
it, it seems to provide maybe just a little comfort from the world at the moment. It's total escapism, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it really is. I think it's almost a bit of a backlash as well because we've had a lot of grey, a lot of Scandi and we're all very calm and very relaxed and it's all lovely. I think we're all bored out of our minds, to be honest, <laughs> after sitting at home for two years with walls of grey mm. and everything. So mm. I think it's it's time. 2022 is, you know, just look at Bridgerton, copy it and, yeah. and go nuts. Yeah, that was 1822. This is 1920, uh, 2022. So we're bang on time okay. for so a revival. T- what are the different elements then that people can incorporate if they want to go that full on colour hit? Maximalism is a tough one because really there are no rules. So trying to kind of look at what works and what doesn't work, it's it's more of a feeling, isn't it? I, I think really the right thing to do is to go too far and then maybe take one step back <laughs> or forward depending on how much you like it. Um, but it's all about, it's it's an expression, it's, it's joy, it's personality, it's putting all your stuff everywhere. And particularly now, I think after the pandemic, it, it typically booms after recessions, after lulls, you know, and so now is the perfect time. So I think, you know, just go for it. I think what's, what's good to look at is patterns. So one typically con theme is beautiful layering of patterns stripes mixed with florals mixed with paisley mixed with everything this is a tough one to get right isn't it yeah but what is right in maximalism you know it's you know when you see it I think it's really all about spend a day with a few different samples or whatever it might be layer them up in the way that you you think might work and just see what works it'll you know it'll feel right it'll look right Mm. so wallpaper and textures really come to mind for me when I'm thinking of this time this beautiful kind of striped wallpaper a dado rail colour underneath you know velvet all that yeah wallpaper we've spoken before about Divine Savages they are really the go-to for maximalism and just you know leopard printy wallpaper and all sorts of gorgeous designs and I think you're right layered so you know, don't stop on the walls, maybe go to the roof, paint your ceiling, uh, have that dado rail, have a maybe contrasting colour underneath. And I think colour for maximalism is really important because Mm. we're not talking about nice Easter pastels here. We're talking about rich, saturated, uh, gorgeous, dramatic colours layered on top of each other, maybe clashing a little bit even, um, but don't hold back with colour. And of course, this would have been very popular in the time of Bridgerton, in the Regency period, because it was really expensive to colour everything from fabrics to dresses to walls. Uh, and, and this is about posh people showing off. Yeah, money that happens, especially the colour blue. The colour blue came from a very rare beetle, if mm. I'm remembering that right. Maybe somebody out there knows. Email us if you do. But um, it was very, very expensive to get to get a blue colour. And so blue was everywhere. It was hugely yeah, popular yeah. back then. Now, of course, fringes, tassels, yes. things hanging <laughs> off, other things jewels on, you know, lampshades, all that, yeah? When you've layered everything and you've coloured everything and you've wallpaper everywhere, still room this is where you add, <laughs> add in your extra bits, add in your fringes, your tassels, your gilded mirrors, your object art, whatever it might be. I think, you know, I think when maximalism really works well is when you have things that you really want to display. If you're a collector of something, you know, if you love thimbles or plates or CDs and record collections, whatever it might be, when there's something that's there to show off, I think building something around that, that's when Mm. maximalism Mm. really, really works. And you know, it's not for everybody, but it doesn't have to be for everybody because it's such an individual style. And particularly if you live maybe alone and you don't have to please anybody else you can really go all out with it totally there's no there are no rules again when it comes to it because there's a really fine line between maximalism 
and just cluttered chaos. Mm. And I think that line is completely subjective because, you know, for example, in Home with the Year, you might see Amanda Bone totally, you know, cringing away from any bit of colour. And then, of course, you'd see Hugh and he'd love all the layers and all the patterns and all the colours. So it's totally subjective. If you like it and you're happy with mm. the colours and the fabrics and everything surrounding you, that's when it's enough. It's okay. totally personal. Anywhere people can get inspo now for this look. Yeah, I think Ireland does this really well. So Susie McAdam, I think, is the go-to on how, how to layer yeah. patterns in particular. Yeah, she and we've, we've had Susie on the show previously. And do you know what? she is just she makes it sound so easy like you just put one of these and then you drape one of this and then you put it and you think that looks fantastic and then you try and do it yourself (laughs) and you end up shopping for the weekend so Susie McAdam designed uh, on Instagram on Instagram one of my personal favourite accounts then is House of Claximalism Oh, well, right. have to follow that for the name alone. For the name alone. So K-L-A-X, House, House of Claximalism. And she is, you know, as the name would suggest, all about maximalism and, and does it really well. I think it's fab. And then globally outside of Ireland, there's one called The Jungalo. They okay. are wonderful. <laughs> I'm thinking animal prints before I even see it. Yes, that's exactly what right. they are. And of course, your own site. You have a, a little bit of maxima- maximalism going on in your very minimal house. In my minute. <laughs> with all your beautiful colours uh, yeah. kind of clashing, uh, particularly that, uh, your mustard uh, sofa. Mustard, a bit of restrained maximalism. Uh, yeah. Restrained yeah. maximalism. <laughs> that isn't an oxymoron. <laughs> all right. Uh, Jenny, thank you so much uh, for that. And speaking of excess, and of course, the weekend that is in it we could not pass without talking about chocolate chocolate and eggs and all that now I did say at the top of the show I am not I know I'm sorry oh my god don't say it no I'm not I'm not an odd square here a lick there but I'm pretty much that's are you somebody who'd buy a bar take a square wrap it and put it in the fridge absolutely and that last me for a month (laughs) (laughs) so I won't be getting Easter eggs this Easter but I'm going to stick my neck out (laughs) to dive into I would what I would love this weekend is a ball pit of Easter eggs that I can just dive into and eat my way out of Okay so chocolate now I did spot you and the reason I, I mentioned this this weekend given the weekends in it is I spotted on Instagram um, recently during the week and you were doing something very creative with Easter eggs. Tell me what you were doing. Yeah, so there's lots you can do. Easter eggs can be personalised quite easily. So what I did with these was I had a few mini eggs small little you know uh, they were they were they came in a box for hiding Easter eggs for an Easter egg hunt. So smaller than normal Easter eggs. So I heated up a knife, I cut them in half, I made a little white chocolate ganache, so just white chocolate melted with either cream or butter. And then I filled, cool that a bit and fill your empty shells with that. And then I smashed up some mini eggs with a rolling pin and I sprinkled, because they have nice colourful shells, you know, and I sprinkled that and the ganache and then I topped it off with a little edible marigold, which makes everything look amazing. <laughs> if any of that sounds a bit oh too God. much, just get edible flowers and put them on everything because you're done then. It all well, looks fantastic. fabulous. And you can see that on Ash Workers Cottage. Uh, you can see what Jenny did with that. It absolutely looked gorgeous. I won't ask you, did you eat them all yourself? I ate of them. I can vouch for their tastiness. Right. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Tell me about where we found chocolate and how chocolate came to be. It's very ancient. It's very, very ancient. So Easter, as as per most holidays, predate Christianity by, by a long shot. So way back to pagan times. So eggs or why we have chocolate eggs comes from a Norse goddess. So Ostara. Ostara was a, a Norse goddess and her symbols were an egg. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and a hare. And she was prominent around the spring equinox, which oh, was just so a couple of weeks ago. there's the bunny and the ago. eggs right exactly. there. Okay. And it's all about fertility and it's spring and it's a time of new birth, etc. So that's where eggs came into it. So people used to give out painted eggs, just, you know, chicken eggs or, or any other mm. type of eggs. They'd paint them and kids then would leave out their little bonnets and their little scarves and their capes and stuff. And they thought if they got colourful eggs... Like Christmas time, uh, if they were good, yeah, then they would get colourful eggs in their little bonnets. So how cute is that? Cool. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, it wasn't long before we uh, started adding chocolate to it because why not? Why would we not? Uh, and of course, we're thinking of the old chocolate makers, fries and Cadbury's and all that. Still on the go today. That's where it came but from. That was they were the original and the best. That was it. Yeah. So so where chocolate, where the Easter egg came from, was when Cadbury is known as. Uh, creating, I guess, what we're calling current chocolate. So to cut a very long story short in terms of chocolate processing, what happens is the bean is roasted, fermented and roasted, and it's broken down into uh, what uh, cocoa uh, powder mm. and then cocoa butter. So those are the two main components that come out of it. And the chocolate we have today has more cocoa butter than cocoa powder. So, you know, the the, the bean has to be processed. So it's the more two melty. things are separated and it's That's more melty. That's a technical melty. term, folks. Yeah, yeah no, it's it's more They say melty. the perfect chocolate, by the way, should be body temperature. Oh, it's yes. Not about putting it in the fridge. No. Not at all. I don't no. like that. Chocolate in the fridge. My husband puts chocolate. Now, he's a bit of a chocolate. And I don't eat, so I don't care. But he puts it in the fridge and it infuriates me because oh. if you're going to have it, it should melt the second it's in your mouth. Should it not? We are very agreed there. Because I think there's something about making it cold that takes the flavour oh, away from it. Oh, of course it, it does. Bit. I just don't It's no, like the tomatoes the and the eggs. Just keep them out of the fridge. Yeah. Okay. So the and melty bit. So, so he figured out a way to add more cocoa butter to, to separate the to and then add more cocoa butter and that makes it you know a bit smoother etc yeah. and then there was a process introduced for adding soya lectin and then lint ha- found a way of leaving it in this thing called a conch which is basically a big mixing vat for a few days and that makes it nice and smooth and what that enabled them to do was to pour chocolate into a mould and let it set and then we have our Easter egg and so that's where it came from Now you know an uncommon amount about chocolate you're obviously very excited <laughs> about it um, but, but you actually learned this firsthand. I did a class I, my, I honestly think this was one of the best days of my life was I did a chocolate making class in this tiny town in Bavaria with this master chocolatier he, he had you know the place in itself was just a wonder I mean talk about maximalism the entire place was decorated with chocolate statues chocolate bunnies uh, it was down south in Bavaria and they had done a full replica of a ski jump so very famous place for ski jumping Garmisch Partenkirchen and a full I'm not going to say life size but it was huge you know I'd say it probably weighed a ton uh made of chocolate so this place was absolutely wow. spectacular Amelie chocolate now I think when we when we think of chocolate when I think of chocolate and people you know the programs that I love watching like the bake off and yeah. you know master chef and all that tempering chocolate seems to be both a science and an art form. <laughs> what is it and why the hell would you do it? Okay, so we, tempering chocolate is a way of bringing it to a certain temperature slowly so that the structure of chocolate itself becomes more stable and it, you know, it crystallises. And so you'll know chocolate is tempered when you see a really shiny, smooth surface and when it cracks when you bite into it you know when you bite into a magnum and there's a really crisp (laughs) crack and it it doesn't melt under your teeth um, it it cracks and one of the most beautiful examples back to some inspiration on Instagram that I've seen of this recently is Graw Chocolates GRA absolutely fantastic Uh, she's based in Galway she's in Galway yes 
She is a master of her craft. And if you want to see what really well-tempered chocolate looks like, have a look at her eggs because they are like mirrors. They're so shiny. So you bring them to a certain temperature. Now, it sounds finicky. You can practice. You can do it in you can do it in a microwave and then you can mix in your remaining chocolates. Do about two thirds in a microwave and mix in the remaining chocolate and that slowly brings it to the desired temperature and mm. it's temperate. So there's machines that can do it too. A little fondue set does it pretty well actually. Yeah. If you can well, control oh gosh, the temperature. There's a blast back to the 1970s. <laughs> Maybe they'll become popular again. Uh, now, other oh, decorating night. tips just for Maybe somebody who's having a family round tomorrow for Easter lunch. Any last minute tips for how to decorate? Yeah, well, this is the home show after all. So how do you decorate? I love every holiday. I love decorating with chocolate. I like the lint bunnies. I like, I do it at Christmas as well with Santa Clauses. But Easter eggs, you have the beautiful shiny wrappers. I just put them on my shelves. I put them out everywhere. So, you know, don't hold back and then eat your way through them. Really popular this year. I've never had one. I don't know if you've had one. An Easter tree? They are popular and they are making a comeback. We'd our flower masterclass at the top of the show about Ooh. all things floral. But actually, the tree is just like, you know, you can kind of fashion one quite easily. It's it's kind of just a twiggy branch and you hang yeah. little ribbons and eggs off Put it. Put it on a little tabletop or something. Yeah. yeah, so twiggy branch. Hang your eggs off it. Hang all your, you know, all your chocolate ornaments mm. off it. it. It looks great. It's ger- I think it's a German tradition it comes from. They know their chocolate very well. <laughs> they certainly do. Um, then you can get a bit creative with eggs. So you can buy some pre-made eggs maybe. Get the kids together or don't. Melt some chocolate and let it cool a little bit in the fridge maybe 10 minutes just so it doesn't, you know, when mm. you're drizzling it on your egg it doesn't melt its way through. And just you know with a spoon with a fork whatever drizzle it over your normal Easter egg and then just sprinkle it you know with little mini marshmallows or sugar sprinkles or little caramel chocolate on chocolate I'm getting where you're going with yeah. this that's most your tips involved put more chocolate on the chocolate <laughs> what you do is you take some chocolate add some chocolate to it and then you're done <laughs> and actually it's a good way because I know lots of families out there and there's there's parents out there who are just dreading the kind of the eight eggs and the ten eggs that some of the kids are going to get and it can be a good idea uh, you know, if you can prize them away to maybe use them for different things like yeah. Rice crispy Buns or something in the, you know, to melt down to do something else and have it then over a couple of weeks. That's a brilliant idea because it, it lasts. Yeah, yeah, rather than not? eating it all today um, and, and doing that. All now, right. this is the advice that I'm giving, but definitely not, not going taking. to follow. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. All right. Well, Jenny Sheehan, uh, enjoy your Easter and I all sure the will. indulgence uh, that it brings. And thank you very much for bringing us those tips on the Home Show today. Thanks for having me. And Happy Easter. Find Jenny, as usual, at Workers Cottage on Instagram. Now, that is all we've time for on the show uh, this week. And thank you for being with me. Now, before we finish up uh, with my financial hat back, on. Uh, I just want to let everybody know I'll be in the RDS all next weekend at three o'clock Friday, Saturday, Sunday with the Senior Times live uh, exhibition talking about all things to do with inheritance tax, fair deal, how they affect your home and your savings and all of that. So do come along if you like. Uh, It's free. Uh, If you want to go to seniortimes.ie you can register there and pick up some tickets. Uh, For now, that is all we have. If you'd like to get involved in the home show, if you'd like to uh, pose a question, some guests you'd like us to have on, well then please do get involved. You can share uh, that with us on text 53106 for 30 cent or you can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and all of those will be read during the week. And don't forget to check out the Home Show podcast which is now up on the Newstalk website powered by Go Loud. Thank you to Maurice O'Sullivan who is producing Stephen McLoon on sound and it's Anton Savage up next. Happy Easter.